Okay, let's start with a question. Um, how were you first introduced to Jesus? And when you were introduced to Jesus, what were you told about the Jesus that you were introduced to? This is a, this is a foundational question. Essentially, who is Jesus and how did you meet him or how were you introduced to him? Um, so I want to hold us on that thought and we're going to come back to it. First, let's rewind. So a couple weeks ago, Jeff Lockyer started this bullseye series and he was talking about the idea of this bounded set, centered set. Remember that graph that he put up? And in that, you can see that there's this circle on the one side that has people on the inside and people on the outside. And that kind of represents like a spiritual boundary line. And then you have on the other side, this centered set, which is like a, a middle point where the arrows are pointing away or towards that center set, that center point. So I grew up in a tradition, a Christian tradition that introduced me to Jesus. And we were very focused on that spiritual boundary line that you see there on the graphic. In fact, we had a lot of anxiety about being inside that boundary line or being outside that boundary line or who was inside it or who was outside of it. And in fact, we would, those of us who thought we were on the inside would crawl to the boundary line itself as like a fence and we would look over it. We would look down at those people over there who were on the outside of the boundary line, kind of casting some shade and judging them for not being inside it like we were. And the line represented a lot of things. It represented religious rules and traditions and theologies, practices. And if I'm, you know, honest, we felt pretty good about ourselves on the inside. And in this faith upbringing, we felt like we had a problem. So the problem was, uh, as you look at that boundary line, we were on the outside. We believe this about Jesus, that we were on the outside of that boundary line. And Jesus was the way that we got on the inside of that boundary line. And uh, we, our, our belief system at the time kind of was like a, um, like a spiritual insurance policy. Uh, so the spiritual insurance policy was to try to guarantee that we would be on the inside because we were kind of anxious about not being stuck on the outside. And the spiritual insurance policy goes like this. Here's the problem. God is on the inside. He's good and he's holy. And we are on the outside because we are sinners, which we are sinners, which we are sinners and we're separated from him. And Jesus dies on the cross to enable God to forgive us of our sins and include us in his family. And the spiritual insurance policy was Jesus' death on the cross to enable God to forgive us. And we accessed that policy by our right beliefs in Jesus. So if we had the right beliefs, the spiritual insurance policy worked and we could be on the inside of that circle. And the activation of that, say, spiritual insurance policy was my beliefs, my decision to ask Jesus to forgive me. And that activates the policy. Um, you know, I'm not there today, and I'm here to actually talk about, is there a better way to understand how this works? Because the, the overemphasizing having the right beliefs about Jesus 
and getting the right spiritual insurance policy into place, it, it actually missed the point. It made Jesus a commodity, something that he did for us, and less about the person that we have at the center, the person that we were knowing and trusting. We were trusting more in what he did for us to get us inside the boundary line than who he was as a person for us to know and follow. And I think there's a better way, and I have found a better way. But I think some of us who grew up in church settings maybe encountered this spiritual insurance policy uh, reality. And so I want to invite us to kind of think a little bit about this. Uh, What does it mean for us to follow Jesus, right? To not just base our relationship with him on a decision that was made in the past to get inside a boundary line. But what does it look like for us to follow Jesus, the person? Um, In the New Testament, sometimes it refers to believers as people who follow Jesus or who people who are Christians. And I'm not disagreeing. I do think when we place too much emphasis on belief, I think that it sometimes causes us to maybe begin to miss Jesus in the process. And here's what I mean. Um, Has there ever been a thing in your life that you say that you, you believe? And maybe it's like you want to Uh, You believe that you need to be healthier, so you believe that you need to cut out sugar, and you believe that you need to cut back on alcohol or something like that, okay? So that's what you believe. There's what we say we believe, and then there's actually what we do, right? So uh, let's say you're at a party, and you go into the party saying, I believe that I need to cut back on sugar and cut back on alcohol, and then somebody offers you another piece of pie, and you're like, "Ah, okay, I'll take the pie, or hand me another drink, right? Because... Our beliefs are, I don't know, they're flimsy. But what if we began to see ourselves not as simply believers, but what if we began to see ourselves as disciples of Jesus? So in the New Testament, the other word to describe believers is actually disciples, those who follow Jesus. And disciples actually means learner, those who are learning from Jesus So one of the people who's had a big impact on me spiritually, his name's Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard defines a disciple like this. A disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. Isn't that great? To learn how to do what Jesus said to do. That's the most important thing in their life. He went on to say that the process of becoming a disciple, he said the the process of becoming a disciple is learning to live as Jesus would if he were you. (laughs) Like, that's kind of a brain buster. Learning to live as Jesus would if he were you. And Dallas Willard takes this idea of learning to live as Jesus would if he were you. And he says, maybe the best word to understand a disciple is not believer, but is an apprentice. That we would apprentice ourselves to Jesus. So our beliefs, you know, as we know them, are flimsy when it comes to the pie and the beer. Uh, and they can be fickle. And they can also get us stuck in the past in like judgmentalism and maybe spiritual boredom because I believed something back then. But what about now? 
What if instead of being known as believers in Jesus, we saw ourselves as these apprentices of Jesus, that we were not believing in him as much, which we should be, we can, but we were learning and being apprenticed like of him. And what if we were a community of apprentices here at Southridge where we were gathering daily around spiritual practices and we were like cultivating and bringing in the life of Jesus inside of us to transform us for that day, to learn to live with Jesus from Jesus, how to live for that day as Jesus, as if Jesus were us, as, as if he would live as he, if he were us. Woo. <laughs> and, as, and, and what would it look like if we gathered in groups like life groups and we were learning how to apprentice ourselves together, learning from Jesus we gathered on Sundays to celebrate the ways that Jesus has been in our life that week and to motivate us to go and learn from him how to live that week. I believe that this is a powerful kind of differentiator uh, that can have an impact on how we see ourselves as followers of Jesus and, and, and how we follow Jesus. So apprentices... Let's look at what Jesus said about those who are apprenticed to him. And I want to take us to John chapter 10. This is a great passage. And in John 10, it's very pastoral. It opens with Jesus being the shepherd and we as his apprentices being the sheep and the church being the flock of sheep. And it says, as we look at verse nine, opening up, Jesus is comparing himself to a gate. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out. They will find pastures. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on in the passage and two more times he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And when you fast forward to verse 25 in the chapter 10, uh, you can see that the religious leaders were obsessed with the boundary line and the insurance policy and who's in and who's out and having the right beliefs. And they found Jesus a threat because he kind of messes with all that. And so it says in verse 25, he's one, he's one more time um, defining the characteristics of those who are his flock, his sheep. He says in verse 25, I did not tell you to the Pharisees, religious leaders, because you did not believe the works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you did not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I love this. And he says, I and the Father are one. And so in this passage, he kind of gives us three, say, defining aspects of those who are his sheep. Uh, he says, one, the sheep listen to his voice, uh, uh, to the voice of the shepherd. Two, the sheep know the shepherd and are known by the shepherd. In the ancient world, the shepherds knew each of the sheep by name, by characteristic in the flock. And then the sheep follow the shepherd. And then there's a bonus. The, the sheep follow the shepherd as a whole flock. The ones who stray from the shepherd, they go off by themselves. And the ones who get lost, they go off by themselves. But the, the flock follows the shepherd together. 
So as you think about this passage, I encourage you to dig into this John 10 passage in Life Group this week because it's so good. There's just, there's so much goodness there. But I, I often wonder as you think about this, you know, number one says um, we hear the voice of the shepherd and that really makes possible number two and number three. And so I want to encourage you when you meet in Life Group to talk about all three, but I want to focus on number one. And to illustrate this, I came across a video this week that was really good in researching this. And the video has three people who are not a shepherd who are calling to a flock of sheep in the same call that the shepherd uses to invite them to come in. And I, I like, look what happens. One more time. Awesome. Like, don't you, I wish that my dog and my kids would come running like that, but alas. So, um, I have a story and it's a story about something that happens when we end up hearing the voice of the shepherd. Um, a few uh, months ago, I was, we were coming out of COVID and our family had been through the ringer. We were tired mentally emotionally it had we were struggling i was unhappy in my job at the time and one of my mentors had um, a spiritual mentor had end up like falling into a gross like sexual sin and it was just it was a depressing time and on top of that i was just heightened with anxiety i was losing sleep i was waking up at like 3 a.m. and in some mornings, and uh, my mind was spinning with all the things that could go wrong and all the things that would be so painful if they did go wrong. And it was a, it was a hard time, and I, I was kind of 
not fun to live with. I was con- trying to be controlling of life and just trying to create some or- kind of order out of the chaos. And, um, and so I remember sitting one time at my desk and I had been kind of reflecting a little bit on this and I was praying like, God help me. And I heard this voice in my head that was like, turn my head and look around. Like, where did that come from? And the voice said, Jesus is Lord. Just that. And then it said again, Jesus is Lord. Then it said, Jesus is Lord. And then it starts to sink in. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I start getting excited. I start kind of like laughing. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. Jesus is, I don't have to be Lord in this situation because Jesus is Lord. And this weight starts coming off of me. It was so exciting. I actually got so excited. I went outside in my front yard (laughs) and on the sidewalk in front of my house and I'm walking around. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We don't have to be Lord. Hear ye, hear ye. Jesus is Lord. I don't have to be Lord. This is good news. And my neighbors were probably watching me and being like, there's neighbor John. We've known that he's a little odd and now we know that he's a religious nut job kind of odd. <laughs> but, but like it brought this relief that I had been sitting under this weight for like months. And that word from Jesus, the shepherd, liberated me. And this is what I think the, the voice of the shepherd always does. The voice of the shepherd is always conspiring to liberate us, to free us from what? From sin, to free us from anything that's not at the center or anything that we've put at the center that's not him, to free us from anything that we've put at the center that's not him. So maybe you're wondering like, well, how do I know if I'm hearing the voice of the shepherd? Like, how do I know it's not my own voice? And I, and I hear you. I think that that's a good question. But I, I want to ask you to ask yourself a better question, which is, do you want to hear the voice of the shepherd? Do you want to go towards the shepherd as the center of your life? Or you think about like Dallas Willard, that quote, the most important thing in their life to a disciple is that they learn how to do what Jesus said to do. And I think, honestly, that sounds unattainable. But here's a better question to ask yourself. Do you want to want to? Do you want to want to have him as the most important thing at the center of your life? That's all. Do you want to want to? Do you want to hear his voice? Because he's speaking and he's inviting us away from any other voices that would seek to kill, steal, and destroy. Like in verse 10, it says of the thief, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And there are voices that call us away from Jesus at the center. And I want to invite us to look at three things that sometimes can displace Jesus at the center, okay? The first is um, career. The second is comfort and security. And the third is relationships and family. If one of these things, good things, are at the center, it displaces Jesus and it actually causes us to to experience 
a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a lack of the things that we, we say we want and we say we need from Jesus. So let's illustrate this a little bit. So if your career is at the center, right, this thing can become a slave driver. Um, if I advance in my career because of the hard work that I've put in, I can become judgmental of others who don't work as hard as I, and I kind of look down on them. Or I can become a workaholic, a slave to my work, which is a temptation for many of us. Um, or if I don't advance in my career, then I, I kind of drop into a sense of failure or shame, and I think I am a failure rather than I failed. And I live with a, a blanket of shame on me, and maybe that turns into depression even. But if Jesus is at the center, then that liberates me from those things over time. Um, what if security and comfort are at the center, okay? What happens? I can become decentered, right, trying to ensure that bad things don't happen to me because I have to maintain security and comfort. So if I'm trying so hard for bad things to never happen to me, I'm controlling things around me, I'm actually contributing to maybe the very things that I don't want to happen to me because I've made security and control the center, and I might start even pushing people away and harming relationships. But if Jesus is at the center, it liberates me. It gives me this comfort and security that I don't lose my happiness. I can maintain peace even in difficulty because I have, he's giving me his peace and his comfort that comes from his presence at the center. And lastly, just relationships and, and family. If that becomes the center, if my friendship network becomes the center, then I can get self-focused, like spinning through life and uh, getting engrossed in the day-to-day -day activities and the social calendar of things. And I might become apathetic over time to the needs or the injustice or the suffering of those around me because I'm getting insulated in my privilege and I might even become suspicious of people who are not like me. But if Jesus is at the center, he's giving me new eyes. He's giving our family new eyes. And he's expanding our hearts. He's expanding our calendars. He's expanding our wallets to open ourselves up to play our little part in helping to relieve the suffering and meet the needs and show the love of Jesus to those around us. I'm, I'm not trying to guilt anyone here or rub anybody's nose in anything. I am just trying to say that when something other than Jesus is at the center, when we are listening to other voices and not the voice of the shepherd as apprentices, eventually it, it crowds out it kills the abundant life that Jesus is inviting us into. And so I just want to ask, what, what direction is your arrow pointing these days? To Jesus, away from Jesus, into apprenticeship, or distracted by other voices that might kill, steal, and destroy? Finally, church family, I just want to say that the shepherd is inviting us as a community, is inviting you as a person to hear his voice, to follow in fresh ways, that he is conspiring to liberate us from fear, from anxiety, from judgment, from apathy, from shame, and he's calling us into his abundant life. Let's go there together. Jesus at the center. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the center. We want to follow you. We want to apprentice to you. Help us. Amen.